0: Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Doug Fern, one of your pastors. It's a joy to be able to be with you this morning and to open up God's Word. And so if you're new, um, just so glad that you've joined us for worship this morning. So glad that you're here. We would love the opportunity to get to know you and to have you um, just connected to this body. And so following the service, there is a a counter and information booth out in the lobby on your way out to your right, and we would just invite you, if you're new here, to stop by there and and find out how you can get uh, more connected here at Parkview. We're so glad that you're here. As a church, we are finishing up a series, as Devin had mentioned earlier, a series that we've been walking through this, this past summer, in, um, in the book of Deuteronomy, covering the Ten Commandments. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, and I sure hope that you do, I'd invite you to open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verse 21. And we're going to be looking this morning at the Tenth Commandment, the Tenth Word. I'm going to read it for us, and then I'll pray, and we will go we'll dive in. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 21. This is what it says. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much just for the opportunity we have right now to come to your word Um, Which we believe to be eternal and true And Lord we ask that you would uh, just do a great work here this morning And a great grace Lord by taking this word and writing it on our hearts um, That we as your people might be formed and shaped by this very word this morning We love you and uh, we ask these things in your holy and precious name Amen Well, my family and I just got back recently from a couple of weeks of vacation. We were able to travel to visit my wife's family in Belize. We spent a couple of weeks there and... Um, As we were uh, traveling there and the the time that we spent there, one of the things that we had to do as a family is go accustomed, especially in light of, we've been there many times, but never during COVID. And so as we traveled there this year, we we had to be very mindful and very aware of the different rules and regulations that existed. Um, As we were traveling, if you've you've been on an airport, on, on a plane through an airport recently, you know that masks are required. There's new protocols in place and you have to be mindful of those rules we've seen just a, recently a, a video that went viral of somebody on an airplane who didn't want to follow those rules and how terribly that went for that individual. I don't know if you saw that video or not, but uh, for us to have a safe and successful flight, we had to know what the rules were, right? And as we were in Belize and, and spent a couple of weeks there, um, the rules there are different than they are here and how they're managing COVID, very different. Masks everywhere and always. Um, were required. There was a curfew, and the curfew, while we were there just for a couple of weeks, even changed during the time. So we had to be constantly aware of what the curfew was when we were supposed to be inside at night. And if we weren't, then there would be significant punishments like fines. There were stories of people just getting thrown in jail because they were out past curfew or they weren't re- wearing a mask. I mean, there were significant consequences for breaking the rules. We needed, for us to have a fun, safe, comfortable vacation, we needed to be aware of what those rules were. As we're approaching, this is, this is not an uncommon thing in life. We live in a world that is governed by rules. Many of us are preparing to go to school, maybe sending our kids to school, and, and for the first day of school, maybe it's college, the university, or, or in grade school, wherever you are, but the first day of school is spent oftentimes just going over rules. If you wanna be a successful student in this classroom, this is what's expected of you. And many of us will sit there, hopefully and we'll listen and we'll learn we want to be successful and some of us will listen and we learn because we want to know how to break the rules right it's just something natural inside of us tell me what they are so i can break them well when we approach the 10 commandments many of us view them in a very very similar way right we want to know what the rules are because the rules, whatever environment or atmosphere that we find ourselves in, if we are aware of what those rules are, they, they, they be, suddenly the environment around us becomes manageable. It's something that we can control, right? There is, there is a sense of safety and security, peace and comfort For many of us, that comes with simply knowing what the rules are. And we can approach the Ten Commandments in exactly the same way. We can look at these Ten Commandments, these ten words. Ten Commandments from God. And we can think to ourselves, we can find ourselves thinking, if you just tell me, God, what you expect from me, then I suddenly am the one in the driver's seat, right? I know what the rules are, therefore I'm the one in control. I can decide if I keep them or if I break them. It's up to me. And if I can manage these 10 rules well, well, things will go all right for me. Many of us view the 10 Commandments just like that. And as if you've been here tracking with us over the last couple of weeks, you may find yourself right now thinking, hey, I'm doing okay. I'm not so bad, right? I haven't murdered anybody. I'm not a thief. Yeah, I, t- I t- t- take a day off. You don't have to tell me twice to do that one, okay? I, I-, I worship on Sundays. I go to church. I'm-, I'm good to my parents. I honor them. I take care of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's possible That so far, we could, you could be sitting there right now through our study of the Ten Commandments thinking to yourself, I got this under control. I can do this. I'm not so bad. Well, if that describes you, if that describes your thought process so far, the Tenth Commandment is a doozy. It's gonna be a doozy for you. And it's one that every single one of us in this room as sort of the the curtains pulled back on our heart and we alone are left to peer into it will find out that actually we might not be doing half as good as we think. As we look at these 10 words, they are just that. They are 10 words for life. They're not simply 10 rules. And oftentimes that's our view of God, right? A God who just issues rules and just wants our obedience for obedience sake. But these are not just 10 rules. What we've been saying over and over and over again throughout the series is these are words for us to live by. They are words for life. And that God is a good God, and he wants good for you. And he's given these words to help promote good in you and, and promote flourishing among us as a people. They are instructions, yes, but more than that, they are an understanding of the life that God has designed for us. And so as we consider, as we bring this series to a close, and we consider this 10th word, As Will was saying earlier, I want us to recognize this morning more than anything else that God provides for his people graciously and abundantly for his people who desperately need him. I hope that you see yourself this morning as we look through this 10th commandment that you come to a recognition That every single one of us comes to a recognition of our desperate need for God. And we also recognize that in our need, God meets us more than we could ever even imagine. So that's what I hope we see this morning as we look at this word, okay? To do that, we're just going to take three simple movements. First is what is what is it saying? Why is he saying it? and how do we follow it, okay? A very similar pattern to virtually every sermon that I've preached in this, in, in this series, okay? What, why, and how? So first, what? If you look down, and I think the text will be on the screen, what, what ultimately is God telling us that we ought not to do with the 10th commandment? Simple definition of what does it mean to covet, Here's a a definition for you. You can write this one down. An unchecked desire. That word is intentional. It's in the text. An unchecked desire for that which God has given to another. What is God trying to keep our hearts from? From going unchecked in their desire for that which God has given to someone else. That's what we mean. If If you just look at the text, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not desire your neighbor's house and so forth. The, the word here, desire, is intentional, and it's one of the things that sets this, if you remember this is not the first time that we read the Ten Commandments. They also, we also read them in, originally when they were given in Exodus chapter 20. In this word, Moses includes the word desire. He doesn't do that in Exodus 20. So it, it gives us a, a better understanding of what God is, is calling us to and, and, and keeping us from. What does it mean to covet? It's, it's closely related to this idea of desire, of desire. He's helping us out by divining what it means. To covet is to desire, to long, to, to fixate, to crave that which is not yours. That's what it means to covet. It, it's a strange word, covet, in our modern times, but it is an important word nonetheless. That's what it means, to desire something that God has not given you, Okay? If you continue to read in the text, you see that there's seven different things that we're not to covet. Neighbor's spouse, their house, the field, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, seven different things. And this, if you're familiar with biblical literature, literature, seven is a significant number in biblical literature. It's, it's, it's trying to get at the heart of the, the totality. This, this a total ban on coveting anything that does not belong to you is ultimately what the text is calling us to. So it's what it means. You are not to desire, don't let that desire in your heart go unchecked for something that is not yours second thing I want to point out about this is that in terms of what it means is we'll notice that this is a matter of the heart. Notice, desire. It's, it's a matter of the, the heart. Notice the distinctly inward focus. It's unique about this commandment compared to all the others. This command is telling us that God not only cares about the outward actions of his people, but he cares about their heart. He looks at the heart. He knows the heart and ultimately God judges the heart. The heart matters. It's it's so important for us to remember this in our day and time. You know you know in our world we we are constantly trying to, to, to divide up the world into different groups of people. Good groups of people. This this group is a good group of people and and this group is a bad group of people and You'll notice as as the world does that, we are conveniently always placing ourselves with the good group, right? Well, that's not how God's wired us. Um, Famous Russian author and political prisoner Alexander Solzhenitsyn is famous for saying in his Gulag Archipelago, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. The Bible says it a different way. None of us are righteous. No, not one. Heart matters. See, what's, what's tricky about this commandment is that heart matters can often be hidden. And many of us are really good at this. Hiding what's happening in our heart Keeping it from being seen by others But when we peer in And if you would allow yourself to do it Just for a moment this morning Peer into your own heart We know what lingers there I know what lingers in my heart As we consider the last time that we Scrolled through our Instagram feed or a Facebook timeline. I don't even know what you call it nowadays. Is it timeline? I think it's timeline. As you look at what your friends are doing on social media and the life that they are living, I mean, how? I mean, just a click away from us peering into everybody else's life that seems to have the perfect family, right? whose kids seem to get all the good grades, whose spouse has the most wonderful job, family and friends who live in a glorious house. I mean, have you seen their car lately? Did you see the vacation that they went on and that they got to do? I mean, we are seconds away from allowing our heart to long for what we don't have and social media just says have at it and if we're not careful and our heart goes unchecked we slip deeper and deeper and deeper into sin and that's precisely what it is but this seems to be an innocent sin right it's just a matter of a heart it, nobody else needs to know what's going on in there. Certainly, this only impacts me. It doesn't have any effect to any, anybody else around me. So, so what's the big deal? Why does it matter? It's, it's just between me and God. It doesn't matter at all. Well, you're wrong if you're thinking that. And, and the Bible would say as much. Why does, this, why does this need to be said? Why does God concern himself with what's going on in my heart when I look at my friend's Instagram feed. Well, let's, let's consider that for a moment. Why? The first is, is, is a covetous heart, a heart that goes unchecked in its desire for what you have. There is, while it is a matter of a heart, there is an outward impact. There's an outward impact. If you were to look at James chapter four, verses one through four, God says as much there. James says, What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? What, what is the source of the social conflict among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? So what he says, You desire and you do not have. So, So, That's the internal reality You desire and you don't have it So what do you do? You murder It's The external, outward impact You covet, there's our word And you cannot obtain So you fight and you quarrel You do not have because you do not ask So while this is for sure a matter of the heart It's an inward reality It has an outward impact that we can see oftentimes in our own lives. We can also see as we turn on the news and we see nations at war with one another over territory that they long for and they don't have. We see neighbors at war over over stuff that they have that they want from one another. We see people caught in things like embezzlement, We see public leaders fall because their hearts have been given over to a covetous desire for that which is not theirs. There is an outward impact. Coveting can cause us and has caused us to resent the flourishing of even our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can look at people in this room even. We can watch our brothers Pull into this parking lot And a car That we wish, That I wished I would have drove in here with I got rust around my wheel wells Shucks How much longer is this suffering Going to go on There is an outward impact We see others around us In our life doing well Having what we want And we begin to resent them Maybe there's people on your Facebook feed Who are notoriously posting things That you are just like Oh, this person drives me nuts Every time I see their life I want you to begin to resent them Bitterness grows in We can begin to make judgments on them And resent the good that God has done in them and for them It impacts our social relationships And this folks is the complete opposite Of what the gospel has called for us to do What the gospel requires from us We are not to be people who see God's goodness At work in our brothers and sisters lives And resent them Rather we are to rejoice with them when they rejoice and weep with them when they weep. That's what the gospel ought to produce in us. So while it is a matter of the heart, it certainly impacts our relationships with others. There's a social outward impact. But there's more than that. There's also an upward impact. we said many times that there's an upward focus as we've studied these commandments Especially in the, the first five commandments The, the reasons that they're, they're given to us These commandments is to cultivate a relationship with God And to show us what our duty towards God looks like So there's certainly a Godward and upward thrust to the commandments and, and we see this on display here in the tenth commandment as well Consider Colossians 3, 5 which speaks to this Notice what Paul says there Put to death therefore what is earthly in you Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness, Paul equates to idolatry. How, how does the 10th commandment, you might be thinking to yourself, relate to the first commandment? T- to covet ultimately is to call into question the very providence the the god's good and purposeful sovereign control at work in your life it's to call that into question If God is providential over all of life and and in his goodness, God knows our needs and and wants to give us the desires of our heart, but, but when we aren't content with how that plays out, we call into question the very goodness of his provision in our lives. We know better than God does. I know what I want and need. God certainly isn't doing the job. I'd be much better at this we begin to trade our loyalty for the giver of gifts, for the gifts that the giver gives us. We turn our back onto the creator and we give our worship towards creation. This is what idolatry is. And covetous, a heart that longs for that which belongs to our neighbor is one step closer To turning our back On God himself Folks this is no small thing This is no small thing You see how the the first And the tenth commandment Kind of come full circle here And they're not isolated It's not just a checklist This is a matter of our heart That if it goes unchecked Impacts our worship That's the reality There's there's an upward impact there's also an inward impact. See, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says as much, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That is one of the hardest words for me to say. I'm just gonna tell you right now. Covetousness. Struggle with that one. Take care and be on your guard against that. For one's life, he says, does not consist, notice how completely Countercultural, this thought is. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Everything else in the world is trying to tell you something different that your identity, that your significance, that your value in this world is determined by how much money you have in your bank account, the kind of car you drove to this church, the type of home you will go home to after this church, the relationships that you have, and how they can promote. What you have in this world. Everything else is telling you something different. Jesus' message is completely countercultural here. Your life, he says, does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Folks, that is amazing news for us. How awesome is that? Notice how, how Jesus shows us how deeply connected our hearts can become with our possessions. And if you own, anything there's no this doesn't just a, this doesn't just apply to people in a certain tax bracket okay this is this is a universal truth if you own anything it's a temptation to think that your life is bound up in what you call yours this is so so dangerous he here he's probing beyond the external performance to the inner life of our soul what is your heart Really set on What is it that you really want Recognizes how easy One can can adjust Control or manage the outward environment While inside there is an ocean Of desire Longing for more More stuff More things A different house Jesus says Your life Does not consist in the abundance Of these possessions this is, a, this is a dangerous, dangerous sin. There's, there's no sin in all of the Ten Commandments more dangerous, I would argue, than covetousness because it's so difficult for us to discern. so hard for us to see. You, in fact, you're usually the last person to know that you're coveting. It, it is dangerous because it affects the whole of our soul. It allows your whole soul to be focused on worshiping something that is not God. It's, it's dangerous because it's a radical sin. It's a root sin. It's a sin that leads to other sins. It's dangerous, especially for the believer, because it's a soul-killing sin. It, it allows a believer to profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to say that he loves God above all else, while in reality pursuing something that is not God. There is a true, true danger here that every, that, that tempts, calls, beckons, promises things to us, every single one of us. So you see, though, the through the Ten Commandments, we learn that, that God is concerned with the totality of who we are. He's concerned with our social, social relationships. He's concerned with our upward relationship, spiritual relationship, and he's also concerned with, with our inward self. So what do we do? It's hopefully, there's nobody in here that feels like I got this one down. Ho- hopefully everybody can just, just for a moment, we can just be honest with ourselves and say this is a real temptation for me Monday through Sunday. It's a real temptation for me. So what do we do about it? Well, closing to give you three quick things. First is, Let's treasure the Gospel of Jesus Christ. My, my hope is that as we, as we wrap up the series on these Ten Commandments, what, what we have walked away is not with is not thinking, "Wow, these are wonderful laws. What brilliant commandments. What a wonderful code of ethics that God has given us, but rather that we would walk away thinking, "How awesome is Jesus. How good is jesus see the ten commandments reveal to each and every one of us that we are all desperate sinners in need of god's grace and his mercy every single one of us as we study these commandments we we recognize that no matter how hard we try to manage them or control them or obey them that the reality is if we just allow ourselves to be real with ourselves for a moment that we don't stand a chance. That we are bombarded with and living in a culture that says the complete opposite and is working, a consumer-driven economy that banks on the fact that we all got covetous hearts. We are in desperate need of God's grace and his mercy. On one hand, we look at the law and we recognize our need. That's so what Paul says in Romans 7, 7. Is when he makes the point in Romans 7, he, he hones in on sort of the purpose of the law. He hones in on the 10th commandment, and he does so intentionally. That's so what he says in Romans 7. What then shall we say? He talks about the purpose of the law. What, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, if it had not been for him reading the 10 commandments, knowing the 10 commandments, memorizing the 10 commandments, it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. See, apart from recognize, from knowing the law, the law reveals in Paul's own heart his sin. He wouldn't have been able to figure that one out on his own. He needed the law to be able to see this. It teaches us the inward nature of the sin. Many may think, I'm a good person. I keep my nose out of trouble Not a thief, I'm pretty honest I'm a hard worker Paul thought the same of himself He was a a Pharisee of the Pharisees But when he considered this aspect of the law Paul recognized his sin His desperate need His inability to completely obey the Ten Commandments When he got to the Tenth Commandment I can't do that. And it should have the exact same effect on every single one of us. Shoot, if you just look at the history of Israel, this is not the first time that they've been given these commandments. We said earlier, initially given in Exodus chapter 20. They are familiar with these laws. They hold them up. They are so special to them. Yet what we see Happen throughout Israel As you consider their story Is that they continue to become A fallen and rebellious people That they continue to violate The entire moral law That they can't No matter how hard they try They cannot keep it That's why Jeremiah The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31 Makes this wonderful promise In the the midst of their idolatry and immorality Makes this wonderful promise He says I will put my law in their minds I will write it on their hearts I will be their God And they will be my people Ultimately what the people of Israel need Is an entire new heart They can't do it on their own After hundreds of years of trying Failure, 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 failure They need help They need a new heart And that's not just their story folks That's my story I it may center in desperate need of God's grace and mercy. It's our story. And this is precisely what makes the gospel of Jesus so precious and to be treasured. Jesus' sacrificial death, his life, given up on that cross for yours, for mine. Mind you, Jesus, the only one who actually kept the law, who didn't need to die, stands in your place and in my place All the that the prophet Jeremiah had promised God would do ultimately through Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, and this for us should be a freeing truth, a freeing reality. What absolute good news this is! So we become people not dependent on our own morality, but on God's grace, and that's what it means to be a Christian. The Christian life is not an endless striving with zero progress. Years ago, we had a we bought a hamster at a store massive mistake it was it was pregnant we of course didn't know it i don't know how if you have like a test you could pass before you if if they do have that i would not encourage you to invite to do that pay the extra five bucks whatever came home babies i mean we had like 30 hamsters at one point i was just it was just ridiculous okay of course any good hamster cage has a wheel if you guys have had a hamster you know if you're a good hamster owner get it a wheel so it can at least do something um went up one night before we were having dinner, went upstairs, and uh, somehow somebody was playing with the hamster. I don't know how some things happen in my house, but somebody was playing with the hamster. I have kids. It wasn't just like my hamster. I just want to make sure everybody understands that, okay? Just got to make sure it's clear. But somebody had taken the, the, the wheel that left the top off of the cage, taken the wheel out, and set it on the floor. And I, you know, I went up there, and I saw the the thing off the, the lid off the cage and i'm like oh my gosh the ham- there's no hamster in the cage what a nightmare i just my eyes keep scanning the room and i they land on open room with a cage in the middle of the room and the hamster you know it is just just running on the wheel <laughs> it's like god's grace at work in my life <laughs> it was so enslaved to that wheel it just couldn't get away. I could know, just see him like walking and it's like, oh, hey, you know, I'm kind of getting back over there and getting on, you know. But you think about it, th- that hamster on the wheel, it's like, a, it's like a picture of often how we approach religion in our relationship with God. It's just constant work and strife and struggle and sweat and, and go, 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 and zero progress. Zero progress. Zero progress. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us new hearts. New hearts. We become a new creation. Apart from his saving work, grace, and mercy, his sacrifice, apart from the gospel of Jesus, we're like hamsters stuck on a wheel, trying and working and going nowhere. The gospel is so, so precious. We have to remember that before he gets into the Ten Commandments, that we see this wonderful reality at the very preamble, the beginning of the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The law comes after his grace. The law comes after the rescue, after the liberation and the delivery. Then the law comes. And what God's people have historically done wrong Is flipped it around And said no My delivery, my rescue Needs to be in my control It's about my obedience to the law And that's not The gospel of Jesus If you try that You will be exhausted The rest of your life And and very discouraged at the end of it Secondly Quickly What do we do about it? We learn contentment Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, a very famous passage often taken out of context. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have learned, he says, in whatever situation I am to be content Listen, there's people in this room who are struggling. Maybe have lost a lot this year. Hard, hard times. And we would do, be very wise to follow Paul's example. Learn contentment. If you want to combat covetousness, look at the things that God, don't focus on what you don't have, but consider what God has given you, the things he has blessed you with the home you do have, the car you do drive, the relationships you have. I think one of the the challenges with this very ambitious culture where you're constantly, if you're like me, thinking about what are goals that I might have in the future, what do I want to do next year, the next 10 years, constantly looking ahead, looking beyond the present moment. It's one of the reasons none of us are content because we don't know how to value the present moment and live in the now, C.S. Lewis points this out in his screw-tape letters. He says this, We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using as a mere fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. What does Satan want to do to keep us from being content? He wants to take your focus and shift it off at the present moment. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, the present moment is the only time when salvation is even possible. So what does the devil do? Constantly thinking about the future. Be constantly thinking about next year, the next five years, the strategic plan, the next, what are we gonna do next? While forgetting and neglecting what God has given you. You wanna be content. Focus on the present Finally, what can we do? To be 10th commandment type of people. Nurture good desires. We'll be real clear here. Desire is not the enemy. Desire is not the enemy. The language of emotion and affection abound in scripture. God provides us guidance and instruction, thankfully, on what it is we ought to desire. So don't let the desires of your heart go unchecked for things that don't belong to you. Rather, what you ought to desire, Psalm 42, one, as a deer pants for flowing streams, my, so pants my soul for God. Psalm one hundred nineteen, twenty. 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. There are, there are desires that, that need to be nurtured and cultivated within us as a people. It, 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 just kind of one practical way we can do this. I'll close with this. There's a there's an author uh, wrote a book recently where he explored the sort of mind the depths of wanting not, not a Christian author not a Christian book but why is it as people that we want what we want what what is it that creates the wants that we have and, and one of his sort of uh, big premises is that we are primarily people who are mimetic our, our desires our wanting is mimetic it is imitative. That our wants, our desires are formed in us By the people that we look to around us And maybe ahead of us So he kind of breaks it up in two categories There's, there's the, the celebrities, the public figures The folks that are distant from us The people that we are constantly listening to Always reading, always watching right? The baseball player who has the swing that we want Right, uh, Maybe the, 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 the speaker who is charismatic and charming The celebrities who are successful We look to them And they have some influence over what we want oftentimes. But more influential is not the people who are Distant from us but the people who are close to us The friends around us The family that we spend time with The people who we value and who who care for us And that we care for Those people give significant influence Into the things that we want In our life And so if you want to want to sort of begin to to cultivate the desires, not for things that that God says you should not desire, but for the things that we ought to desire, one of the best, most strategic things you can do this week is think about the the people that you spend your time with. What kind of friendships do you have? Are you primarily socializing with people who don't want the things that God wants for you? If that's the case, I I would suggest this fight's going to be difficult for you. Luckily, as a church, we have provided Try so hard. It's why why we provide so much energy in trying to get you connected with other believers in this church through community groups. Coming up this week, there's a men's breakfast designed to promote male friendship so that we can grow in our affection, not just for one another, but for the things of the Lord. There's a, a, a woman's coffee happening, I think on the 28th at 9.30. Is that right? I'm just gonna do those announcements right now. And you could, ladies, you could sign up for that. You could show up for that or there's information on the website. For men, there it is. It's on the screen now. For men, sign up for the men's breakfast this this Thursday morning, 6.30. Surround yourself with people who want this for their life as well. It's one of the, the best things you can do right now. Let's be a people who want what God wants us to want. Let's be a people who treasure the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that your word um, it is convicting, um, but it's also incredibly encouraging. Thank you that as we look at your word, uh, we are exposed and see very clearly as we peer into our own hearts our need, our lack. at the same time father we see your gracious provision you're such a good god such a good god and lord we thank you that you are not just concerned about our hearts lord but you care for them you love them we thank you for sending your son to die for our sins that we might know life, true life, with you. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.